Okay. Just before anybody drowns, we'll call you all to, uh, to order. After quite a significant uh, week for ourselves as a nation, our theme for this week, which was already, I hasten to add, pre-planned back in October, asks the question, how can you have, how can we have a fresh start? I dare say it's a question that Jeremy Corbyn and Joe Swinton are no doubt both asking, but also for Boris Johnson as well. There's a sense of a fresh start. It's been a pretty uh, dire and dreadful few years, really, politically, nationally. And maybe we're at the cusp of this fresh start, whatever that might be. We certainly need to continue to pray for our nation That's quite certain. We're not here to obviously make political comment, but I throw that in at the start because it wouldn't have escaped any of us here who would have, I hope, voted prayerfully for who we felt was best to lead the nation uh, forwards. And there's that sense of fresh start whenever we think of a vote for a leader of our country. But when we all think about that, the commonality that we've all had of thinking about what that means, regardless of our own starting point, maybe for ourselves we can think of fresh start and an experience where that has been true for ourselves. Fresh starts are good things to occur. It may well be that you can think of a time when you moved into a new area. That was a fresh start. It may well be for some of you this has been a fresh start in coming here. It may well be for some of you you can think about the time when you were remarried. Or a time when you got a new job and you turned up on day one not quite knowing what to expect. Or maybe there's the new start of retirement. Or the new start that kind of can weigh us down a little bit because it's a new start without the person that we have spent our years with. New starts. Maybe it's a new start for some of us in terms of how we think we may well serve God. Each of us, I'm sure, can think about new starts. Fresh starts can be powerful, and there are times when I'm sure we each need a fresh start. That doesn't mean that a fresh start is going to always be straightforward. God is going to do whatever it takes to grab our attention. And if we ignore some of the more subtle means that he's trying to communicate to us and to speak to us, then watch out for maybe some of those events or circumstances that he might allow to have occur in our lives so that we are maybe forced to think again and turn back to him. The reason is driven by God's desire for relationship with you, with each and every one of us. That's a good thing by way of motive. And that can then sometimes lead on to a fresh start for us. But probably few of us have had an experience to match that of Jonah. And as you were sharing amongst yourselves about a time where maybe you sunk beneath the waters, it may well be you could think of a time when you were in the sea, or you were maybe fishing on the riverbank and you fell in, or you were going, as I can remember, age 11, swimming across to try and get my white bit of ribbon to do by 10 metres, and the boy that was ahead of me was doing a kind of like a breaststroke thing, and boom, his foot went, hit me in the head, and I I was out, and then down by the bottom of the pool in next to no time. I could have got down there on my own means. Actually, I didn't really need a kick in the head. I was never very good in the water and not really very good now. 
But for Jonah, that was a major experience, isn't it? And I guess it would be worthwhile for us to just pause at this point. Now, come on, surely that's not really practically possible that anybody could be swallowed whole by a great fish. Well, Pinocchio did. So it's got to be true. But more importantly, the Lord Jesus Christ had no problem with this account whatsoever. Therefore, maybe we need to take heed at why he found that this was so important. Of course, quite quickly, we can throw in a human reason, can't we, and apply that and feel that, well, whilst maybe whale sharks or sperm whales are indeed big enough to swallow large prey whole, and that would include uh, the likes of you and me, we can then kind of look at some of the detail and think, well, that due to the, the size of the esophagus or uh, the lack of oxygen within, well, it just wouldn't be possible. The trouble is, if we look at human reason for every event that actually is, occur, is able to occur in our lives, we're going to block out the potential for a supernatural God to be operating in our lives, and we're going to never find him anyway. Whilst we need to accept the obvious, we need to take a step back and realise that the God that we worship here is a God of the supernatural. If he could create you and me, our whole world, universe, out of nothing. Actually, the whole big fish and somebody surviving within is pretty small, isn't it, by means of comparison. I hope that somewhere within our minds, we may well have that openness to allow God to be God. And not to put him on a par with ourselves about what may or may not be humanly possible, as if we seem to know it all. Jesus reminded people, with God, all things are possible, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. That ought to be our starting point, really. Once we can get our heads around that, or accept that God might just be allowed to be God, then what we have here in this book of Jonah should be no issue for us at all. This is God's word for us. And if you're following the book of Jonah, great. If you've got one of the Bibles off of the uh, the shelves at the back, it's on about page 920 something. It would be great to follow through what God's word might be saying in this time and season to ourselves. I hope that's the readiness of heart that you've come with this morning. God, would you as a supernatural God whose ways are not like mine, would you speak into me? Would you speak into our lives where we are at? Because it just may well be there is a fresh start around the corner that God is wanting for you. That will be probably different for each and every one of us. But I hope we haven't come with closed minds that we've been there, done that, worn the t-shirt, and there's no further future fresh start for us. Jonah is about to experience a fresh start. It was a delayed fresh start, of course, because he heard God's word saying, I want you to go that way. Thank you very much. And off he went in the opposite direction. Maybe a little bit like you're lost in an area and you wind down the window or you use your um, automatic thing to get the, uh, uh, the window to go down and you ask somebody who you hope is going to be local but they're never local and they're usually on holiday. We know that. You say, excuse me, could you tell me the way to? And you mention the place and they're very clear and they say, if you go down in that direction and, and they give you all the directions... And you are pretty convinced it's not that direction. 
Thank you ever so much. It's really hard to go in the opposite direction, isn't it? They've just spent time explaining. They know it's, thank you ever so much. I really appreciate that. We know something of that thing of going in the opposite direction. And that's what Jonah did at first. Around, he was around in the 8th century BC in the reign of Jeroboam II. Jonah made this huge mistake of saying no to God. Big mistake uh, to make. Of course, we've never done that, have we? Oh, you don't like those bits, do you? But it's true, it's very easy for us to tut tut Jonah. But kind of it goes hand in hand with how we very often are. Sense of what God might have us do or say, and maybe a sense of our wanting to do the opposite. And that tug of war within, we recognise the reality of that. But from what follows through chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Jonah, we can see that if God tells us to do something, we better make sure we do it. It would have been so much easier for Jonah if he just said, yeah, okay, I know that you've got a plan. I know that your will is best, as opposed to thinking, I'm going to get out of here. Why go against what God says? That's a valid question, I think. Now, of course, for the atheist, well, that's easy. Well, I don't believe in God anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But we're talking here about someone, Jonah, who was indeed a believer. We know that uh, from the text. Verse 9, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. He had no problem with faith, no problem with faith in a creator, God. But So why then would a believer, why would you and I go against what God says? Well, three things came uh, to my mind. Firstly, human nature. That sense of despite uh, being a believer, but obviously Jonah does the opposite, goes against what God wants like we can uh, sometimes. Sometimes maybe we just want to be that believer, but written in very, very small letters. To just be the church attending believer for an hour and a half a week. Because that looks good on the CV, doesn't it? Parents think well of that. Not maybe a frontline believer. And that was what God had in mind for Jonah. And he didn't really want to be a frontline believer. Couldn't he have worshipped God where he was? Well, yes. But that wasn't God's plan for his life. Now, I don't know what God's plan is for your life any more than I probably know what God's plan is for my life in days ahead. But I hope that we're here not wanting to say no to God, but whenever God speaks to say, count me in. I want to be a yes person to you, God. It's easier though, isn't it, to stay comfortable, to stay where we are. Um, But maybe there's times where our faith can get tested because God wants us to move out of our comfort zones. And that was true for Jonah. He was in for a bit of a shock, wasn't he? If we read verses 1 and 2, that word came to him. I want you to go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Human nature is a, is a means maybe where we may well say no to God, but fear is another one. It was certainly fear for poor old Jonah, called to go and preach to that place which was later to become the capital of Assyria, the most powerful and ruthless nation uh, known on earth. Hence an understandable fear. We can identify a little bit with that fear, can't we? We find it quite terrifying or quite of an, an ordeal. And maybe this morning when you heard David say, this is the easiest week in the whole calendar year for us each to invite someone to church. We don't find it that easy. Around about six weeks ago, we um, um, initiated something that's called Try Praying, where we ordered 500 of these. 
And the invitation was for those of us that may well think there's people out there who could do with maybe just maybe trying to pray to see whether or not God is there for about a week or so. And we encourage people to just think, have a read of that book at yourself first so that you know what you're passing on to a friend. We had 500 of these. You'd have thought, wow, we've all, look at the numbers we got in this morning. We can own how important it is to get the word out there. If I was to say, is it important that we make Jesus known? I don't have to ask that question because there'd be the chorus of, yes. Would we like to see churches throughout our town and throughout our country packed? Yes. Would we like to see loads coming to Christ? Yes. How about taking one of these leaflets and pass it on to a family member or a friend? We've still got loads of these. Loads. I haven't done my bit as much as I should have done either. You would have thought that was easy. But even on something so small, no. That's a good thing for maybe somebody else that's an extrovert to do. Therefore, let's not be over harsh when Jonah didn't actually get called to give out a little booklet but to actually preach a hard word of judgment to a people that are going against God. You have a little bit more empathy with him now? I can. Poor guy. We can think, well, what will people think of me? I wonder if that's maybe one of the the reasons that we find that so uh, difficult. So there's human nature, there's fear, but maybe misunderstanding as well. Jonah had not really fully understood God's heart for the world that he lived in. God's desire, we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, is that none should perish. That is God's heart. So if we're to be followers of God, there ought to be that sense of our own heart too. That we didn't want anybody out there to perish. Which for those who don't know Jesus Christ, they will. That's what God's word teaches Many of us, that whole thing, who uh, find that maybe we can feel that faith is maybe a private thing. Or it's an important thing, but it's something that helps me feel religious or spiritual or feel better in terms of morality. That is not a true reflection on God's plan for you or his world that he is longing to have relationship with. It can be quick to, uh, we're rarely maybe quick to own uh, what we believe is to be made known to those out there. We can talk about it, but it's hard to put it into practice. We've got a great opportunity this week where even people out there are thinking, may well pitch in with a carol service or or whatever. We've got the added incentive of mulled wine. I don't know if that was Maria that supplied it, but you've obviously worked yourself up into a reputation. Blame your husband for that. Easy invitation where people are maybe thinking that way. Let's grab that opportunity. So there's different reasons that people may well, ourselves included, go against God. Human nature, fear, misunderstanding. But what can we learn from this passage that happened way back, 800 years or so before Jesus even came? Well, we can learn that Jonah ran away from God. We looked at that. We can think, well, that's pretty daft to try and do that. Maybe his view of God was too small. That could be true maybe of ourselves as well. The psalmist makes it very clear it's impossible to run away from God in Psalm 139 verses 7 to 10. Wherever you go, God is already there. Remember last week when I kind of uh, confessed as to that opportunity that I would have had to have spoken to someone and then that opportunity never came and I was angry with God and then a few days later I felt God say, look, I was already there. Oh, 
So you probably were. Of course he was. Jonah is aware that there has been a consequence to his action of disobedience. In verse 12, when he's on that ship, he says, look, just pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Twice in other places in that first chapter, Jonah finds himself in confession. I don't know if you picked that up when we read through that. If not, then read through a little bit later. First of all, as to who he is, being willing to stand up and be counted about his DNA, his background, his heritage, his belief, his worldview. But then secondly, as well, to what it is he has indeed done wrong. Interestingly, verse 10 makes it clear that the sailors already knew what he'd done because Jonah had already told them. Well, why then did they ask him again? There's something, I think, that indicates here that there is power in confession. There is power in us being big enough to speak something out. One of the phrases that we hear quite a lot positively with people coming here, new or on the door, is... I like how this church is, is okay with making mistakes. Or it's okay to, to admit that something's not being done. Or people feel comfortable to actually be a bit real. Isn't that what it's all about? What's the point of pretending? No point is the answer. No point at all. And there's something powerful, I believe, that comes through here in Jonah's being willing to speak out his confession, not just to the, to the sailors, but to the one in whose presence they were, to Almighty God. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, this is what Paul said to a church then. He said, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If you're willing to speak out that which you believe to be true, and you do within, believe in your heart that God has raised this Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. If you don't speak out, and you don't actually believe what the gospel is, you won't. That's the other, obviously, application. But let's just focus on the power that there is in confession. And not just the people coming to faith either. Sometimes when people are wanting to receive prayer alongside an anointing uh, with oil, they will invite the elders to do that uh, because of what's written in James chapter 5 and we would encourage that as elders here. However, that's not the whole package. The context there is about public confession. And very often without any sense of spoken out confession, a healing isn't going to occur anyway. Have a, read, a re refreshing read of James chapter 5 before we just lift a part of the verse that we like the sound of. Oh, if I get diced with oil and get elders to pray for me, then everything's going to be well. That's not the full context of that passage. There is power for each of us to feel big enough to speak out that sense of confession. Can you remember in a, in a sort of trivial way last week uh, where uh, we, we got the dates wrong on those Christmas leaflets? I know it was my fault. Liz felt bad because she printed the, the mistakes that I put. And I'll say this because Michelle's not here this morning yet. When it came to just letting you know that, Michelle said, actually, I've made a mistake. She didn't have to do that. 
wow. Actually, there's part of me that wished I'd just say, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. We'll pray for you, Michelle. Well, I couldn't do it, couldn't do it. There's something healthy about confession. It ought to always okay, be okay for us to confess, not just to God, but also to one another. Certainly that's a way forward if we want to put things right relationally, isn't it? What else? Well, Jonah's disobedience is punished. He's thrown overboard. Oh dear, that's not very good. But note the calming of the sea that led to that calming of the sea then led to the conversion of of that burly crew. It's an interesting kind of like side issue that's going on over there in verse 15 of chapter 1. The story is to do with God's plan of redemption, of of salvation, and specifically using Jonah. And we're thinking particularly here this morning about his prayer from way deep down in the depths of that fish as well as of the sea. And yet when there's confession and when Jonah is lobbed out, there's that sense of calm and because of that supernatural element of the circumstance that occurred back then, the entire crew suddenly came to know a new God. Because they worshipped other idols and other gods. Now they were worshipping the God of, jo- uh, of Jonah. Wow. What power there is, isn't it? As adults, it strikes me that we often need a major jolt in order that we might sit up and think about God, our lives, and our eternal state. We go through a simplistic kind of belief when we're a child, no matter what our belief is. We then begin to question in our teens and twenties. Of course, we then realise that whatever our opinion is, is the right one. And what a shame that others uh, are wrong. I think it was Mark Twain that said, when I was 14, I couldn't believe what an idiot my dad was. But by the age of 21... I was amazed how much my dad had learned in the last seven years. (laughs) As an adult, as the years go by, of course we've experienced more of life. But sadly for some of us, we kind of chuck God into that bracket as well. As if we know all that there is to know of God or experience of God. And it takes a jolt, maybe similar to the big jolt that Jonah occurred for us to wake up. And think, where is my life going? Of course, this wouldn't have been the only occasion where there would have been a supernatural calm of a raging storm. Some of us would have been hoping for a bit more of a calm over raging storms in these last few days, wouldn't we? Remember Jesus on the lake when that storm, and as a result of that, wow. There's a sense of fear, but then confession and acknowledgement of this Jesus as as who he was. The application obvious about whatever storm it is that we're going through in our own lives. This God that we worship here is a God who's wanting to invade our lives and be invited in so that there might be that sense of calm brought to where it matters most. Regardless of whether or not the circumstances stay the same. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. There's something beyond the circumstances that's more important. And then the last verse of chapter 1, we read, But the Lord provided. This is midway through Jonah going glug, 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 glug. Who might know what would have gone through his mind at that point in time? Probably he's thinking, why didn't I just go to Nineveh in the first place? I haven't even got a rubber ring. There's no raft. There's no help. There's no nothing. And I'm sinking. 
but. Often but in scripture is really good. This is one of the good buts. But the Lord provided. How often is that the case? When we get at our wits head. When we feel things couldn't get any worse. And then God steps in. And we wonder maybe why we ever doubted all the way along. The three days and nights in darkness. Well that maybe is a pointer forward to the resurrection of Jesus. We could unpack that over another 15 minutes. But I'm not going to. That's not our focus at this morning. For Jonah... It was completely just and right that he was punished. Because wrong ought to be punished. And if God is a just God, then wrong needs to be punished. And yet the sending of that great fish was completely gracious of God as well. We see God being both just and gracious. Again, a picture of what lay ahead in terms, in relation of God sending his son. That we're thinking about over Christmas period, where sin, our wrongdoing, deserves to be punished. And that's why Jesus willingly came. Not just to be born, but so that come Easter, he would die that cruel death for your wrongdoing and mine. Sin deserves to be punished. But alongside that, always, is God's grace. Because those hands of Jesus that were outstretched when he died on that cross, are saying, yeah, You deserve to be punished, but I've stepped in in your place. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because if you do, your sin is wiped out, forgiven. And we might know fresh start. The best fresh start there ever is. A fresh start often begins with a turning to God or a turning back to God. And that's exactly what Jonah did. We read, in my distress, I called to the Lord. You can imagine why he was distressed. He turned to the Lord. We're going to have times of distress. At that moment, before we freak out completely. Turn to God to meet you in your need. If I'm honest, that connects me with my own story of how I became a Christian. Stuff that had gone wrong and and I was at the lowest of the low. But it was at that moment. So, okay, God, if you can do any better, here I am. From the depths of the grave, I called out for help. We read in verse 2. And God, you listened to my cry. How incredible is that? There appears to be a glimpse of Jonah's faith in the resurrection as we uh, see in verse 4 where he speaks, Yet I will again look again towards your holy temple. Somehow, beyond the, the immediate agony and distress and pain, and probably he's thinking this is the end. He was thinking, that, but this isn't going to be the end. There's something, Allah, a new life, resurrection, hope that can be indeed for me. That's maybe his faith speaking. He states that there's something forward to, uh, to look forward to. What, what a testimony. Recognising where he was at. Going nowhere but down. Recognising a dismal end. But as he then was re-inviting God to come back into his life. This was the beginning of God beginning to make all things good. 
This was his testimony in verses 5 to 7. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. And earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. I don't think you need me to apply that. Someone yesterday at Cafe Church, as we were talking about the power of journey and God meeting us when that was us, has agreed to share a very brief account of what their story was. Michael. I guess it was back in April uh, 1997, and my dad was dying of um, cancer of the esophagus. And uh, one of our very good friends, Donald Smith, uh, he came and uh, in, in hospital, and you know he just made sure that you know dad was you know right with God, and that you know he'd, he'd accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And and I thought at the time, well, that's all very nice. I'm glad he did that. That's lovely. Um, but. Several days after, Mum and I were upstairs. I guess we were probably looking for something to, um, you know, dad, Dad's cremation. And um, I, I need to preface this and, and ask: Does anyone in here make wine at all? Okay, bushy. Well, my dad used to make wine, and it, being a Yorkshireman, he was kind of cheap, so he wouldn't use grapes or anything like that that you had to buy or the grape concentrate. He would make us go out into the hedgerows, and we spent all the you know, the, the waning days of summer, going and getting elderberries for the, for the wine, because he used to make elderberry and banana. I mean, anything with elderberries, um, because it was free. But when you're making elderberry wine, you've got to separate all the little elderberries from the stalks, because the stalks are poisonous. And we used to make this in, like, 20-gallon tubs. We used to make a lot of wine. Um, and it, it is the most pungent. When, it, when, you, when you put the... Uh, brewer's yeast in there to make the wine it is an unmistakable smell, it's not pleasant it's kind of a stench, it's, it's really really unpleasant, it's a very very strong smell, but we were upstairs and we were, we were looking to get dad's um, his, his um, clothes so that he could be cremated in and we found his book of common prayer and honestly I'm, I'm a bit of a doubting Thomas if someone was telling me this story I would not believe it that's the truth but we opened up the, the Book of Common Prayer, Dad's, Dad's prayer book, and the room was filled with the smell. And I've never smelled this smell since I was you know, 12, 13 years old of elderberry wine being, uh, with, with the yeast and everything, the strong smell of, of, of uh, fermenting elderberry wine. And I looked at Mum, and Mum looked at me. We were, looked, we were shocked. And you know, if, if one person had this fantasy, you were just like, oh, well, you know, just imagining it. But two people experienced that instantly and we both said elderberry wine at the same time and so that's our you know I don't have to have a lot of faith that there's a God because I've got evidential proof you know somehow we got you know, the message back that dad was saved and he did go to heaven <laughs> praise God bless you bless you Michael thank you the caveat to that was then Michael applied what God then did in reawakening his own faith and that fresh start. 
it's a shame more weren't there to hear it because Cafe Church went on a gear, up a gear, as a result of Michael's honesty and indeed the power of confession again. Thank you, Michael, for sharing that. Really appreciate that. It seems, as we come to a kind of conclusion, that, that Jonah cried out as if a last resort, as if he was at the very end. And I kind of get that. I can remember sitting at the bedside in Joseph Weld of someone who was, had never been a churchgoer. And I'd asked their, uh, their spouses, okay, that if it was appropriate and sensitive, an opportunity arose, would it be okay to invite them to think about, are they ready? And I used Jonah chapter 2. And that individual was willing for that to be read, unpacked, and to receive a prayer at that moment. You can't think of a closer time when somebody was on the verge and edge, knowingly, of eternity. It's never too late. Yet alongside that, why wait? Why wait? You may well be in a place to ask yourself that question right now, because that fresh start is open to all. There is this happy ending, as there was, as indeed Michael has shared so honestly about his dad. There's acknowledgement from Jonah that salvation comes from the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 9. Promise of commitment uh, to do what he'd been called to do, we see in verse 9. And then when Jonah receives God's word a second time in chapter 3, verse 1. It's no surprise that we read that he obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And you'll have to read the other chapters to see what happened when he did that. But it's good stuff. It always is if we're obedient to what God says. How do we get a fresh start? Let me summarise very briefly by helping us realise that there is our part alongside God's part. Okay? Four things. Firstly, realise that time is limited but God is always there. Time is limited. Time is running out. Each of us are closer to the end of our lives today than we were yesterday or last week. Not rocket science. Time is indeed running out. But God is always there. He was for Jonah, even though Jonah was enduring that nightmare situation. Secondly, it's accepting that wrong must be punished, but God longs to forgive. You, me, Everybody, I'm beginning to sound like the Blues Brothers, I realise, in quite like you, me, everybody, but there we go. You may well not know the song. God is just waiting for you and I to cry out to him. Say, I can't take any more help. That's a good prayer. It's a good prayer. Maybe for someone we can consider that. Thirdly, yes, we must repent of our wrong. That means to turn away from all that we know to be wrong, to ask God's forgiveness But God always provides a way out. For Jonah, it was through that big fish. But for us, it was someone else who connected with that three days and nights in the tomb. He gave his life to you so that you might live, so that you and me might have the opportunity of being forgiven. And lastly, we must ask God to save us. That's down to ourselves. He's not going to force anybody into his kingdom at all. But we need to understand it is God who does the saving. Not anything that we do 
There's a right response and confession is, yes, a part of that. But it's God who does the saving. We can't achieve anything in and of ourselves. Jonah was completely reliant on his God to provide the means whereby he might be saved. And then to set him free. And to dry him off and set him on that original path and purpose for his life. And that's the same that's true for you and for me. Grasp whatever it is that God might be saying to you. And as we close, don't ever think that it's too late. Because for Jonah, remember we read in chapter 3 verse 1. That God came to him with his word a second time. God is in the business of creating fresh starts for you and me. He just looks for people that say, yes, I'm here. And then we verbalise whatever it is internally we're feeling. Let's turn to this God in prayer. And as we do so, if you've never thought about this before, let me uh, give you another invitation. Just outside this door on the right-hand side is a leaflet stand, and one of these is called Turn to God, which just explains very simply how what happened to Jonah, without you needing to drown or even get wet, could be true for you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that you give for us to have a fresh start because you love us. Thank you that nothing is forced. You love us too much to force us to do anything. We thank you that you are here this morning and you're indeed waiting to hear from our hearts to hear our desire, to hear our being real with you, to hear our coming clean before you. We invite you to come, to speak to us. Maybe for some of us to speak again a second time, whatever the context might be for us. God, may we hear and respond to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.